Hello listeners and welcome to the Monto Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. Today's episode tackles the legal issues surrounding Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What's the current status of Nord Stream 2 and what are the implications of this? Are the sanctions imposed by the EU and the UK watertight or are there some loopholes? And what about European utilities that have subsidiaries or business activities in Russia? How could the EU unilaterally decide to completely cut energy supplies from Moscow? And what would happen if it were to do so? Helping me, Richard Sverson, to grapple with these key questions is Anna Stanich of ENA Law. A warm welcome, Anna. Good to have you back on the pod. Thank you, and thank you very much for having me. To start off, Anna, how do you view this this invasion of the events as, as, as they've sort of continued over the last two or three weeks? Well, I mean, I, I think for me, as a, as an energy lawyer, I've, I've concentrated primarily on looking at the statements uh, made by the European Union um, when it announced that it wanted to reduce its energy dependency on Russia by two-thirds already by the end of this year. Um, and then the entire sort of way in which it proposes to do so. That's sort of been the key issue to grapple with for me in, in the last few weeks. So in terms of where alternative supplies could come from? Well, where the alternative supplies would come from, uh, how do you reduce something by two-thirds and not by mm. 100%? <laughs> because presumably <laughs> if you start reducing something by two-thirds, the other side will say, well, we just reduce it by 100%. Um, I mean, you know, we don't hold the levers, all the levers uh, of this kind of um, in this relation. So, um, you know, announcing any, something like that has uh, repercussions of their own, as we've already seen in the market. So, so yes. So looking at that and trying to unpick it um, has been, it's been very, uh, very important because obviously it, um, it, if we get it wrong, uh, we have we get the whole um, of not only our move to energy transition uh, completely wrong, but also our economic uh, future wrong. Because, you know, um, if we can't secure what we announced to secure, then, then there's a huge risk. Do you think this is then a sort of very ambitious move or is it achievable in such a short space of time? I, I don't think it's achievable. Um, and and uh, there's two things. I mean, obviously, the Oxford Institute of Energy Studies has gone through um, and sort of unpicked the figures and has sort of come to um, a position where, you know, the EU could secure about 30 BCM of, of, new, um, of new LNG at, at assuming we could pay for it uh, by the end of this year. Um, there's a huge debate on whether we could reduce our um, gas consumption by 38 BCM at the same time. Um, you know, there's this talk about consumers turning their thermostats on and off down by one 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 degree, and how much that would bring. Uh, but there's much more real, much more serious issues. As I say, if we can't achieve what we set out to achieve um, from a from a purely um, supply perspective or even a demand perspective. Um, that's one thing which I think they they show. The second thing that nobody's really talked about is what would be the cost of us doing this? You know, could mm. we actually afford this? We are already seeing most of our industry and certainly our agriculture not being able to survive even the current prices. If we were to go and try to outbid 
um, the Asian markets to try to secure the 30 BCM or, or the 50 BCM that they're saying that we should, we would have to secure by the end of this year. Um, it's, you know, does, can our industry remain competitive? Can they even afford it? I mean, we've seen already demonstrations in places like Ireland of, of farmers who simply say that they can't afford the energy prices. They can't afford to rear the, 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 the pork, the pigs. And if we, and if that then has as a consequence the domino effect that we simply don't have the supply of food, then that's a serious concern. So, and, and then ultimately, as a lawyer, I step back from all of that and I ask myself, okay, assuming that we could afford it, which is a big question that I don't think we can, um, mm. assuming that we could get the supplies and that we could dis- reduce our demand by 38 BCM and that we could, I don't know from where, between now and, and, and November now, uh, you know, inject 90% effectively, which that which 90% of storage in the EU, which means 90 BCM between, and uh, given that it's, I think, around 30, 40 BCM now, it's another 50 BCM that we need. Assuming we could do all of that, can we actually legally do this? Mm. Um, and the answer, I think, to the extent, to other than for contracts that expire at the end of this year, which I understand are some Polish contracts, uh, all other contracts would require um, gas buyers to uh, to actually breach the terms of their contract, and that would obviously open them up for for arbitrations. Uh, who's going to pay them to breach their contracts? Um, alternatively, and who who is going to be the two thirds that breach their contracts? How, how is this going to be organised? Um, and if it's not two thirds, if it's a hundred percent on the basis of an introduction of sanctions that would effectively then provide the com- the gas companies with uh, at least temporary protection from claims on the basis that sanctions prohibit them from making payments under contracts, and that clearly would have to apply to all a hundred percent of gas supplies. So you know those are the kind of legal conundrums that that you know need, needed to be thought through absolutely when this kind of an aspirational statements have been made because obviously they have ripple effects in the market yeah absolutely and 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 and, and deep you know underlying consequences but i think um and if i can just ask you to, to, if we can delve a little bit more into to what you've just raised here now for example the contracts that you know companies will have with gasprom is it is it how easy is it just to 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 exit those i mean you can't just sort of rip them up can you well it's 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 not i mean it's not you cannot exit them just because you decide that you want to exit them um unless they have a Unless they are about to expire, then you, uh, you know, you can't invoke force majeure in these kind of circumstances because you're choosing to to voluntarily terminate them. I and mean, there's an argument that's being made that by by the Russians now d- demanding that the payments be made in rubles, that this could be a basis of saying that the breach is is being made by the Russian side, and therefore gives an opportunity to the other side to terminate the contracts. We have to see. I, I, I'm, I'm not that clear on exactly what uh, Putin is demanding that the companies do. On the one, uh, you know, on, on, the, on the reportings that I've seen in certain places, it would suggest that he is saying that companies have to open accounts with Gazprom Bank and deposit their euro or US dollar payments or whatever payments the gas is being denominated in under their own contract 
in that currency and that then there will be a conversion of that amount into rubles um, that will be done by Gazprom Bank. And then that rubles will be transferred to, to Gazprom. Um, if that is the case, then there's no breach because the payment is made in the, de- in the currency that's being denominated under the contract. The key will be what will be uh, the ruble exchange and whether um, Gazprom would be turning around and saying you haven't paid enough because the euro um, ruble exchange rate is, is different to the one you'll th- you think it is. But ultimately, the, the payment under the contracts are in, in, not in rubles, provided that the, supply, the buyers are paying it in the currency of denomination, then there's no breach. So then the question is, how do you get out of these contracts? Uh, my understanding is that there's a numbers of buyers, including municipalities in certain Western European countries that are considering uh, terminating the contracts in full uh, uh, knowledge that they will be uh, breaching those contracts. I, my understanding is that the ministries of that, that's I'm not a Western country, are trying to advise the politicians that it is extremely unwise to terminate them. Um, but as that, as a as a person in one of those, the the ministry has told me, uh, there's little common sense. Um, so even though they have yet to find alternative sources of of gas supply, that is, there's a possibility that certain municipalities and potentially energy companies will simply terminate um, contracts for the supply of gas, uh, open themselves to legal claims. And potentially uh, opening themselves to a position where there will simply be um, no gas supplies at, in those specific areas, leading to shutdown of industry. So that's like the worst scenario possible. Then, in a way, you know, everybody loses. Well, I mean, uh, the, the the seriousness of the situation, I think, was made very clear by the CEO of BASF, the world's largest chemical group, who has uh, repeatedly rejected calls for any kind of import ban of gas, um, saying that this move would be totally irresponsible and it would throw the, the German economy, but obviously not just the German economy. Um, there would be a domino effect that would affect all other economies in the EU that are highly dependent uh, on the German economy and, of course, other, company, other countries that in themselves are highly dependent on, on, on gas into what he says is that would be the biggest crisis since the end of mm. World War II. I mean, I think sev- several key German economists and, and, and leading business figures have, have come out to, and, and said the same. Anna. But do you think, if I can go back to the, the deal that was announced with Gazprom Bank and so that, you know, non-Russian firms would pay in, in euros and then the bank will transfer it or exchange it into rubles, is this a way for both sides to sort of save face as well? Well, I mean, the German government, the German economic minister has uh, basically, it seems to me, rejected this possibility. I don't know whether he looked into it and then rejected it or whether in whether he will now look into it more carefully. And as I say, I don't know fully, um, you know, there's different reportings of what exactly is being required by Putin. But what I see and what I suspect is the you know, is the reason for Putin doing this. And in a way, how the sanctions have are helping strengthen the position of Putin is that he's effectively now finding a way 
um, to have money arrive in Russia. Up until now, um, you know, most of the trades and most of the payments were not made into Russian, into the Russian, into Russia. They were paid into bank accounts of different companies, including Gazprom and other affiliates or, or, or other intermediaries that were that had bank accounts throughout the European Union um, or the UK. Now that this there is a potentials of them being sanctioned or that there is already sanctions in place, that has not been that is no longer possible. So what he is now securing um, is is I don't and I do, again I don't know to what extent, but I would imagine that it's to a large extent for monies that were previously held in 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 foreign bank accounts to come to Russia, and that this is the main reason for him doing so. I mean, there's also the issue of, you know, companies like Gazprom, Germania and Gazprom Marketing and Trading. I mean, uh, what what do you, you know, we're seeing noises that uh, the, the, the German uh, network regulator is going to take over uh, Gazprom, Germania. Um, so this is all, it, I mean, it's a very rapid situation. It's a very fast moving situation, Anna. But we, we, um, we discussed before Christmas, sort of in December, about Nord Stream 2. Now, that seems to be completely dead in the water now, isn't it? Well, absolutely. So we saw on the 22nd of February that the certification process was entirely frozen and that um, the, the situation of the security of, and the impending invasion that happened two days later um, was used as a basis to, to freeze the, the certification. And obviously what has happened since then is with the introduction of sanctions is that you're, you know lawyers are no longer able to advise uh, Nord Stream 2. Um, so they have all, um, they've all basically been asked to put pen and paper and down. And, uh, and, uh, and the actual case, um, the PCA has advised that the case is suspended, the Nord Stream 2's case against the European Union, uh, pursuant to the Energy Charters Treaty, is for the time being suspended. But I mean, just to, just to put things in perspective, I mean, the um, there has been quite a lot of discussion in the legal community about the fact that um, lawyers are prohibited from representing Russia and, and Russian-related companies, especially the ones on the sanctions list in any shape or form. And this raises the issue of rule of law and and basic sort of um, basic sort of uh, tenets of of legal representation, which obviously, no matter how grievi- uh, gruesome a crime has someone has committed or, or a war crime, they have so far been entitled to representation. And you say this is at the moment lawyers can't represent any Russian companies. So this is basically in in breach of you know um, sort of long-standing legal principles. Yes. So th- these these are quite complicated issues now to to address. Absolutely. I mean, I can can certainly see there's there's that there could be, for instance, maybe um, a set of. Legal claims made against the decision, the German government, for example, for stopping the certification process. Could could we expect that to to come in in in, in months or years time? Well, um, I mean, they could be brought. Well, they can't be brought by any uh, in terms of Nord Stream two, because it's 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 Gazprom and it's on the list. Um, 
it, it certainly cannot be brought by any German uh, lawyer or any European lawyer. So it would be Russian lawyers who would be bringing the cases, which I assume do not have rights of audience. I mean, I don't know how the German courts work and whether they can appear um, as Russian lawyers there, but presumably they could. But um, but the point of the thing is, is that its lawyers until now are, are unable to to represent them. And in fact, they 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 are no longer representing them. Um, uh, Gazprom has has disinstructed all those lawyers, also because its accounts are blocked. So how can it? He cannot even pay for for the legal fees or court fees, for that matter. Absolutely, it's an absolute minefield. But then, what about the sanctions, Anna? Um, the sanctions that are they completely watertight? I mean, is there is it is impossible for a country to import Russian coal? Because the way I understand it, it's more about the the registration of the vessel rather than the actual, um, you know, the, the contents of the vessel. Well, I mean, the the there is an exception. Um, so there has so far not been an intention to um, to stop, and this is where the, the things become complex in terms of going back to the announcements of how do you reduce something by two-thirds um, rather than 100%. Presumably, once you start breaching contractual terms or introducing sanctions, then they would apply across the board to everyone. You couldn't just say, well, in certain countries we have sanctions and in others we don't, and so on. So in order to reduce the the imports, other, other than through our process of where contracts allow you to do that, and we've said that that um, nobody's aware of how this could be done, then you're looking at a, some sort of a blanket rule, in which case you're talking about a hundred percent gas, uh, you know, ban on gas imports, which obviously we clearly couldn't afford. Um, um, even on on even the EU doesn't Commission doesn't claim that we can. Um, mm. If we go back, so and and so and certainly there has and obviously there have been calls on well, okay, well, we'll do it on oil, um, and and maybe on coal, but then how do you how, how do you do that um, mm. without there being retaliation from the other side? And if the retaliation from the other side is to say, okay, will you start doing that? Well, we'll just stop all gas. Then we again, you know, this is where the the sort of it's a game of chicken. Mm. Um, and then the question is who play who can play this game, mm. um, and what impact does it have finally on 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 the economies? Um, just one other thing. I mean, obviously, another thing to think about all of this in terms of of gas and reducing gas imports, whether it's by two thirds or or how however much, is you know this and the studies done like let's say by the Oxford Institute of Energy Studies is very much a mathematical exercise. So first you, as I say, you put in the pricing part and you see what actual implications it actually has. Would Europe even afford the, the rising Asian prices that we would be seeing as a result of us directly competing for significant amounts of LNG um, gas? Um, uh, and then the other thing that we need to think about is where are you know is the demand for Russian gas uh, uniform across the European Union? And the answer is no. There are certain parts of the European Union that are more dependent on gas imports from Russia and piped piped gas than others. 
especially Southeast Europe, as 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 the European Commission knows very well, having done a study on on this um, not so long ago. Um, and and so we would be in a situation where countries, for example, like Bosnia, would simply have no gas at all arriving mm-hmm. to them. Um, Bulgaria, even if the inter inter well, you know the interconnector with between Bulgaria and Greece was to be completed by October of this year, which um, we hopefully it will be, but we're still only talking about them being able to get about one one and a half BCM through there. They they need another one and a half BCM from somewhere else. Um, you know, there's there's Croatia that could potentially simply uh, replace the one BCM that it gets of Russian gas from the LNG terminal on Krk, but that would require it to to renege on the yeah. already uh, on the contract that it has signed with Hungary to pass to you know to sell one BCM of gas via the LNG terminal. Um, it could obviously do so by exercising in emerg- saying that there's an emergency, but obviously then that would leave Hungary short of one BCM. So there are certain parts of the EU that simply cannot wean themselves off Russian gas, um, mm. certainly not this year. And as the Oxford Institute of Energy Study has shown, even on a mathematical basis, the issue is even if we were to manage to do it this year, the, it would be uh, even more difficult to do it next year. So, mm. you know, and, and obviously these kind of steps are irreversible once they're taken. So mm. going back, and, and obviously, as we were saying, there is a domino effect, possibility of a domino effect. You cut certain supplies or you announce cuts in certain in supply, uh, demand for gas that may result in in Russia saying, okay, well, we won't supply you with any other things, uh, which obviously doesn't only include fossil fuels. Um, it also can will potentially include agricultural products and, and the rest. So it's it's you know our interdependency with Russia um, is is much greater than we would like it to be. Um, and and it's not just our interdependency with the Russia, I mean, as we've discovered with Brexit, it's our interdependency generally, how the supply chains and how the economy of the of the world works. So no one can be an island, at least not at this point. So if if you were to give some advice to the European Commission, what what would that be, Anna? Well, I uh, well I would simply be saying that we shouldn't be making statements uh, that that and or, or make scenarios that if if they were to happen would have you know that we can't live with the consequences of that. So and and I would say that we need to. It's not enough to say mathematically we could potentially reduce our supply by two thirds. Um, we need to know what the consequences of those statements are in terms of what it may, uh, res- you know, lead the other side to do, and can we afford the response? And have we thought through what that response would be? And more mm-hmm. importantly, that the actual can and are we able to afford it mm-hmm. um, from a point of view of the of, of our economies? And I and I think um, the, these are the key things that we need to consider in the you know cold light of day. The, going back to your question on terms of the sanctions, I mean the sanctions that are now in place obviously provide for a very important exception um, in terms of um, 
which says that whatever is strictly necessary for the purchase, import, or transport of fossil fuels, in particularly coal, oil, and natural gas, but then it lists also titanium, aluminium, copper, nickel, palladium, all of that that goes through Russia into the EU is exempt from sanctions. Um, and 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 the so that's how the the trade is is able to continue unless the sanctions that have been you know the possibility of new sanctions that have been announced um, on on the on the fourth of April um, uh, are, are followed through um, happen now the the indirect implication of this is that exception this exception does not apply to a European company selling oil or gas to a non-European company. Um, so when, and, and let's not forget the, the sanctions in term is, are not uh, entering into force until the 17th of May. So there's, there is still time. But for example, Yanov, which is a Croatian um, energy company, has announced that unless things change, it will no longer be able to supply oil to Serbia. So even though there is an exemption that would otherwise apply if Serbia was in the EU, since the exception only applies within the EU, uh, for now, as, as things stand, that agreement would be breached. Mm. Oh, well, well, not breached. That agreement will not be able to be performed. Mm. So, I mean... If if I could just round off, Anna, by saying, so what kind of advice would you give to to companies who have contracts, uh, you know, with with Russia, either in in forms of natural gas or or purchasing or, or oil or coal? Well, I mean, uh, to the extent that they are considering uh, terminating them, obviously they need to carefully consider if they're able to do so legally, um, uh, based on their governing law. Obviously, if 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 there is a if sanctions are introduced that extend to to set, to purchase of, of of gas, then they will have no alternative other than to comply with them. To the extent that they are the sanctions don't change and they are the way they are now, then companies that are dealing with um, other energy companies outside the EU will need to be approaching the European Commission to to see if, by analogy. Those trades are allowed to continue since they are, if they were in the EU, they would be exempt from sanctions. And these kind of clarifications will be, will need to be given and, and try to be obtained. But I mean, it's a very difficult, and a very difficult situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we'll we'll continue to keep a very close eye on it. All the all the journalists at Montel News. But in the meantime, Anna, thank you very very much for 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 joining the Montel Weekly Podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. So listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message, any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you and goodbye.